We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now, at your service, it's the KMOX Dollars and Cents Show with Dave Simons from the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Hello, St. Louis and surrounding areas. You indeed are listening to another edition of, well, not so much the Dollars and Cents Show. That is my show. As many of you know, I've been hosting the Dollars and Cents Show off and on since 1996. In fact, it was January of 96, so I can't believe it. But holy cow, man. Um, I'm a math guy. That's a long time. 1996. Um, but that's not what I'm doing tonight, although I will talk a little bit about some financial and investment stuff at various times throughout the next couple of hours. But this is actually at your service, and occasionally they let me out for good behavior, and I get to come downtown in the evenings and uh, be a, play a guest host for a night and uh, happy to do it. But my real job during the day is as a certified financial planner, CFP, and head of the Simons & Cordes Wealth Management Group, located within the friendly confines of UBS Financial Services. Like I said, we'll get to some of that. In fact, I have a, a special guest on after 8.30, so coming up in about a half hour or so. Uh, one of the top money managers in the country, and he's held that title, uh, I was going to say self-proclaimed. That's, it, he doesn't call himself that, of course. He's a humble guy. I call him that. But uh, the nice thing about it is he's right here in St. Louis and a personal friend of mine and appears regularly on CNBC, quoted in Barron's, the Wall Street Journal. And um, I look forward to getting his viewpoints on this year, 2023, and a look back to what was a really rough 22. But that's coming up, uh, like I said, in about a half hour. You know, this news about David Crosby dying. And it comes right on the heels of uh, the great English guitarist uh, Jeff Beck also passing away. And, you know, I'm a baby boomer, all right? Uh, Now, on the younger side, for those of you who kind of remember that those dates, it's 1946 to 64. That is the definition of really the baby boomer years, and I'm on the younger side of that. So, yes, I'm into my early 60s, but... Man, all these rockers that I grew up with, it, it, you do feel your age when they start to pass away because the, the folks that I grew up listening to uh, when I was young and into my teen years and beyond, they're, they're now in their 70s and some in their 80s, like David Crosby, who was 81. 
and you get a little melancholy. I, I, it, it, how many of you feel this way when you, um, whether it's a, a, a Hollywood actor, perhaps, or uh, a rock star or, or anybody in music that you grew up listening to and had a real big impact on your life, and then they die when they're older, and you're like, holy cow, I'm not 21 anymore. I'm not 30. I'm not 50 anymore. These people are now passing away. That, that's our generation now. And I started to really think about this, and I thought about my own personal life. And there is... So let me take you back a little bit. It's 1978, all right? I'm 16 years old, and I just get my driver's license. Now, it's interesting that the generation of today, they don't seem to take that as seriously as we did. I remember myself and my friends, man, on your birthday, you didn't wait another second. It was like Christmas Eve the night before you turned 16, and you went in and you took your driver's test, and it was freedom. And it's interesting that as my kids, who now are in their mid to late 20s, but when they were turning 16, yeah, that was kind of a big deal, but not nearly as much as my generation. But I digress for a second. So it's 1978, and I get my driver's license, and I get into the car I just bought, a 1972 Dodge Duster. Oh, man, love that car. Later totaled it, but it lasted for a couple of years. And... I remember it was one of the first days I was driving, and it was down the North Service Road in Lake St. Louis. I can still remember this. It's so clear, even though it happened so long ago. And this sense of freedom that I had, I rolled down the windows, and I was listening to KC95. And it was at that moment, I guess all the planets were in alignment because here is my long hair. And yes, folks, even though I've been bald for a long time, I actually had beautiful locks back in the day. Sad to see them go. I miss them. Speaking of death, my hair. But man, I had it almost down to my shoulders. And the wind coming through the the windows of that Dodge Duster and KC95 on. And, and, and I just felt like an adult and I felt Free. And then this song came on. As soon as you are and I remember being mesmerized by this song. I can't fully explain it. Have you ever had a song, folks, that just talked to you and you personally, and maybe you talk to other friends about the song, and they're like, yeah, okay, I've, I've kind of heard it. Yeah, it's okay. And you don't understand why they don't have the same commitment to the song, the same joy. It's not in their soul. It doesn't get into their bones like it does to you. It just, it speaks to you in that moment and it stays with you for the rest of your life. So that song, and as I was listening to it, I wasn't, I was a late bloomer to music, all right? So it's not like I knew every band that was out at the time. 
But I kind of recognized that voice. And I thought, I think that's Ario Speedwagon. And the reason I, I, I kind of thought that is because I used to babysit for some neighbors when I was 15 the year before. And their parents, who probably were in their late 30s at the time, had this double live album called You Get What You Play For, Ario Speedwagon. And when the kids would go down to bed, I would put this album on. I thought, this is really good music. But I can't say that it spoke to me. I, I didn't connect to it like this is the greatest band ever. It was just really good. But that song, at that particular moment in time, it just never let me. And, and I could not have known at the time that it would be a game changer for me. So fast forward here to 2023, and people who know me well, the if you ask them, okay, Dave's favorite band, they'd start laughing and go like, oh, gosh, all he talks about is Ario Speedwagon. That song, it, 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 <laughs> I'm going to say it again. It spoke to me in a way that it's hard for me to explain now, but I'll tell you what happened. Right after that, I'm at a friend's house, literally like a day or two later, and he's got some 45s. Now, I'm really dating myself, but he's got some 45s out, and there it is. He's got this new 45 Ario Speedwagon roll with the changes. And I'm like, John, have you heard, listen to this? Yeah, it's a really good song. Have you? I said, I just, I've only heard it once. I heard it on KC. I've been waiting. Let's put this on. And I played it over and over and over again. What I ended up doing was going out to Streetside Records. Maybe it was Peaches. I don't even remember. But I went to the record store and I then bought all the previous REO Speedwagon albums. Their first one came out in 71, all the way up to the Tuna Fish album in 78, and I played the heck out of them. And I became a huge fan, and as it turned out, that band had such a big impact on me for a variety of reasons that um, I'll explain after the break. And there is a reason that I tell this story to all of you, because um, I think we can all connect to the reasons why. In, in, in ways that are life-affirming and life-changing, that's what music does to us. For some of you, it may not be rock and roll. It might be R&B. It might be jazz. It might be country. It could be classical. But I'm telling you, God has implanted this in us. You know, there are recordings that the universe sings. There's music in the universe. So there's something true in, in that. It's embedded in us. And so it speaks to us, and we all have our favorite band and our favorite song. And now as they're starting to pass away, you feel a bit of your youth passing away, and it's happened with more frequency. I'm going to continue just briefly this conversation when we come back. We're, you are listening to At Your Service. My name is Dave Simons, and I shall return. St. Louis. Dave Simons here filling in it um, at your service. Talking a little music, rock music in general, Ario Speedwagon specifically. Sorry, I've got the mic. I know I might be boring some of you, but I'm not going to belabor this point. But I think we can all relate to some degree about what music means to us. And everybody has their favorite artist, their favorite band. And it, like I said before, you don't understand why other people don't see it your way. It's like, no, listen to this music. Yeah, okay, it's okay. 
wow, why don't you get it? Why doesn't it speak to you that way? Why, why doesn't it get into your soul? And that's the way it was for, for me for a lot of those 70s and 80s big arena rock bands. So my bands at that time were REO and Styx and Journey and Foreigner and, and Kansas, one of the most underrated bands out there. Those bands should, in my opinion, should all be in the Rock Hall of Fame, and only Journey is. It's a, it's a crying shame. But when I was in high school in the late 70s, that was a very tough time for me. And I will not belabor that point. Everybody has things that they can say, woe is me. And that was a bad period in my life. I'll just put it that way. Um, I have talked about the fact that I have lived in so many different places, even by the time I was a teenager. Uh, Two houses in Florissant, one in... Hazelwood, um, uh, two places in Lake St. Louis, St. Charles, uh, five places in Kansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, England, all by the time I was 14 years old, uh, multiple divorces growing up. So that was part of it. And it just, it was not a great leave it to beaver childhood. Let's put it that way. And I was kind of a loner. I was also bullied. So you latch on to something. And when you've got this band that speaks to you when you're 16 years old and you have your first sense of freedom and you feel like you have some control in your life for the first time and you hear that roll with the changes and then you go on and you discover their songs that are uplifting by this band and that was where the ultimate connection came from. Songs like Keep Pushing." Blazing Your Own Trail Again, Music Man, which Kevin Cronin is talking about, people, including his own parents, didn't believe that he could make a go of it in the music world, and he just had to be his own guy and go out and make it on his own. That spoke to me. Only the Strong Survive, Live Every Moment. These are all REO songs. It's amazing. I don't know of another band that has so many songs about you can do this. You can. You've got what it takes. You have these God-given abilities and talents that just keep your eye on the prize. And that got me through some really dark moments in my life through college. All you have to know about my past is, and I don't say this with joy, but when you don't even have any connection to one high school friend or one college friend, when, when I even got out of Mizzou, I left. I got out of Missouri, I got out of St. Louis, and I just started life on my own. Like, I didn't have family, I didn't have friends. And it was a band like an REO that that was just, that was my friend at the time. So I all, I put them on this pedestal in, an, in sort of an unhealthy way, honestly. I'm much, I'm better, folks. I'm well-adjusted, okay, it's all good, we all get better. But that's why that band is so important to me, because of those uplifting moments. And... I was saddened, but it wasn't unexpected that a couple of weeks ago, the guy who gave that band its iconic name, Ario Speedwagon, keyboardist Neil Doughty, who happens to be, by the way, from Belleville. He wasn't born there, but he went to high school in Belleville and then goes up to Champaign, and he's a student there, Neil Doughty. He's a student, and he's got a history of transportation class. And he walks in, and the teacher has written on the board, R-E-O Speedwagon. Now, that was a real 
vehicle at the turn of the last century in the early 1900s. And it was a fire truck. And REO was Ransom Eli Olds, as in Oldsmobile. That's where REO, and it was the speed wagon. It was a fire truck. And that's what they were learning that day. And Neil Doughty, the student at Illinois from Belleville, looks at it and says, I think that's going to be the name of my band. And the rest is history. See, you, you learn something here and at your service, right? A little bit of trivia. Well, Neil just announced his retirement. He was the last remaining original member of the band. It's crazy. Now, I still go see them because, really, the current lineup has been together for 30 years. So it's weird to think that none of them are actually originally part of the original Ario Speedwagon, even though it feels like they've been together for a long, long time. But with the passing of Gary Richrath, their iconic, talented lead guitarist in 19, I'm sorry, in uh, 2015, that was the first time I kind of started to feel old, like, oh, man, my favorite band just lost my favorite guitarist. Yikes. And then last uh, year, late last year, their original bass player, Greg Philbin, passed away. So there's two guys in the early days of REO died, and then Neil passes away. And you sit there, and, and then Jeff Beck and David Crosby, and you're like, you know what? I'm not young anymore. You're, you're, the, the people that you grow up with are starting to pass away. So we're, we're getting to that, that point in, in the boomers. Um, one, one real quick story before we break at 830, and then I'm going to completely change direction. We'll get into some financial and investment stuff with our guest uh, after 830. But um, I had the distinct, unique opportunity to actually be part of a private event that Ario Speedwagon was hosting only for special guests up in Champaign, Illinois, where it all started for them in the late 60s. And I won't, I won't, I don't have enough time to go into the reason why I, Dave Simons from St. Louis, were able, I was able to get this special pass. This was not a backstage pass after a show or anything like that. But I was able, because of a connection through the mayor of Champaign, that I got a back, not backstage, but a pass to this special event that was actually honoring the band. And it was REO Speedwagon Day in the state of Illinois. And they renamed a little piece of a street in Champaign, REO Speedwagon Way. It's, it's there today and forever. So I go into this event and I finally meet my earthly idol there, Kevin Cronin, for the first time. Nice guy. Kevin, I'm Dave Simons. I grew up listening to you guys on KC95. And he's probably thinking, oh, you know, I hear the story a million times. But, you know, he, he played the part. Nice guy. And it was just he and I. And then I made the mistake of saying something, mentioning something that I won't repeat it here. And he looked at me and he got this kind of a scowl look. And I knew right away I had said the wrong thing. I didn't know it at the time. But he then mistook me for somebody else. He thought that I was part of a group that was suing the band for some other reason. I didn't know anything about this. I had stepped in it, but I just off the cuff had made some comment about, hey, and I, this is also what I know. And then I, I've talked to this person, and then Kevin thought I was part of this group. He went over, talked to other members of the band. Their band manager, Tom Consolo, then came over and physically escorted me out and said I had to leave. And I had no idea at the time what had happened. I then found out later, 
and here's why I love this band as mad as I was, and Neil Doughty, one of the co-founders and the guy who came up with the band's name, sent me a personal email. This was in 2001, I believe, so 22 years ago, because it was in January. And he said, um, on, the ba- on the behalf of the band, I-, I do want to apologize what happened to you, but we couldn't take a chance at the time. We thought you could have been part of this group that we're fighting in court over. Uh, we now know that's not the case, and please accept my apologies. And I saved the email. It was very nice. He didn't have to do that. Um, what I was hoping to see after that, and because of your troubles, here are two free tickets to the next show and a red carpet carpet entrance to backstage at that show to come in and just hang out with the band. Well, no, I, I didn't get that, but an, an apology was enough. So there's my own personal REO Speedwagon tale that started from almost the day I turned 16 with the hair waving in the background or uh, down to my shoulders because of the air through the windows. And Roll With The Changes comes on, discover the band. Then because of those tough times that I was going through, all their pick-me-ups, and uh, that band has spoken to me like none other. And I'm sure you all have, even though maybe not as dramatic stories, but those artists, those teachers, sometimes it's a teacher. Sometimes it's not somebody famous that has such a big impact on you that you look back on. And um, you're especially reminded of it decades later when you hear perhaps they've passed away or, or something. And you think, wow, I wish I would have taken time to say to them uh, what they meant to me. So I know that there are people associated with REO Speedwagon with the families and stuff here in the St. Louis area. So I'm hopeful that one of you is listening. And so I want to take the opportunity just to say, tell the band there are people like me that our lives are better because of their music. And uh, I hope they keep rocking on. And I know I'll see them in another show this year, all these years later. Heard it from a friend who Heard it from another you've been messing around they say- Oh, no, it's not. It's uh, That's Dennis D. Young singing for Sticks, of course. Another big band of the 70s and 80s that personally, if it was left up to me, they'd be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I digress. I promised we would move on to other things here on Your Service. Dave Simon's along with you tonight. It's 834 right now. And we are going to bring on a special guest as we talk to one of the top money managers out there, a guy who uh, has a long history of great performance in picking stocks for uh, really a lot of institutional clients and well-heeled clients and a, a personal friend of mine as well. His name is David Rolfe. He is the chief investment officer, longtime CIO of Wedgwood Partners. David, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm just uh, I'm just rolling with the changes, brother. <laughs> I know you are. Hey, before we even get into that, so, you know, the theme that I had was we all have our favorite bands from our, our youth. Uh, who was it for you? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to share a real quick story with you and your listeners about Ario Speedwagon. Real quick, I grew up in North County. I may have shared this story with you, Dave. I'm in eighth grade. I decided to start playing ice hockey in the seventh grade. I was the worst player in history. (laughs) I was the human Zamboni machine. But like you, baby boomer, 
I was born in mid-November 1961. And the way it worked out up in North County trying to get enough guys to play on teams, I'm in eighth grade. There are guys on my team who have their driver's license. Yeah, right. And you want to talk about freedom and all that, you know, being in the car. My mom, we would have practices on Tuesday or Wednesday night sometimes, at 10 at night. Yes. Or games, you know, in, in Earth City, down in Afton, out at Winterland. And, you know, you know, I grew up in Delwood. This is out, you know, on St. Charles Rock Road. These guys, a couple of guys that lived around the corner would come in, in one of their cars. My mom would give them maybe five bucks for gas. We're pulling out of my driveway. They'd give me that look like, sit in the back seat and just shut up. <laughs> and, and all season long, these guys gave me a ride. And the only two songs I remember from that era in that car, and it was wonderful, was Riding the Storm Out and Keep Pushing. I love it. I love it. So I, I it was, know. It was magical. So, yeah. So, to your question, Ted Nugent, my first album, I think, was Fog Hat. I wore out that first Boston album oh, yeah. on my little Panasonic Techniques <laughs> little stereo that we all got for Christmas when we were, you know, in seventh, eighth, or ninth grade. It, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I've listened to everything you said, Dave. I really enjoyed going down memory lane. And uh, I, unfortunately, you know, I'm going to sound like the old guy, you know, screaming, get off your front yard. There was nothing like. 60,000 people, 50,000 people packing a stadium yes. listening to a concert back in the day. Those were magical times. Yeah, those Super Jam concerts at Bush Stadium were awesome. I'm, I, I went to a couple of them, and, I, and, I, and I'm with you. I also don't want to sound like the old curmudgeon here, but even my kids in their 20s will say, Dad, you guys grew up at the best time for music. They, they'll even tell, tell me. We, we don't ha- I love those 80s bands that you play. So they recognize it, too. They, they really do. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for uh, indulging me there. I really appreciate that. Now, let's, let's get a little bit more serious, and that is uh, a lot of folks, of course, when we look back in 2022, the average investor just wants to forget about it. It's like, wow, okay, that was the toughest year for the stock market in, uh, since 08. The toughest year for traditional bonds basically in history. So any investor who's just middle of the road, the traditional 60-40 allocation, got creamed more than usual because there was no safe haven. Even gold really didn't provide that. So as you look back, David, and and, and you're the stock guy and uh, more on the large cap growth, we'll get to some small and mid caps, which, uh, of course, you, you are now involved in now. But what was the most difficult part of 20 to 20, 2022 for you. I, I know reading your stuff, what happened last year doesn't surprise you. You were expecting a bit of a, a, a rough go, but was there anything that really shocked you when you look back? You know, Dave, I think it was a combination of, of uh, what shocked me um, in 2020 and even in 2021. And it's kind of an old saw of the investment business. I was stunned by how far some stocks went up. Yeah. And I think 2022 was the opposite of that. Uh, I think a lot of investors, I mean, some of these stocks became well-known kind of name brands. And, and, and what we saw in the pandemic is that some of these businesses, particularly maybe the stay-at-home stocks and the Pelotons and names like that, not to pick on any names, they went up so much that, and I know I felt, I, I was guilty of this too. I thought some of this 
earnings momentum would continue. But I think a lot of people were shocked how far some well-known stocks fell last year. And compared to the S&P 500, as bad as that was, there were so many stocks, particularly technology stocks, that did so much worse. We really had a tough bear market last year. And a lot of these stocks peaked in late 2021 and even early 2021. Right. So for some stocks, it's been a, a very, you know, they've been down six, you know, 50, 60, 70%. Yeah, including one of the stocks, because I was reading through your report, the stocks that did well, the stocks that did not, and I was struck by one that uh, has been in your portfolio, and and the damage to it must have really surprised you, and that is Meta, as most people know, as Facebook. Do you see a turnaround there, and do you still own that company? Yeah, well, thanks for bringing that up, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Can we talk about rock and roll again? Yeah, let's go back. Um, uh, Play some Mario for us. (laughs) You know, we had owned it for a number of years and did reasonably well. And uh, I was, you know, we were guilty of the same thing. Um, So much business flowed to the old Facebook, now Meta, in 20 and 21. And the stock just did incredible. And then literally everything that could have go, gone wrong did go wrong in, in, in 2022. And to make matters worse, we actually added to it a couple of times. And so we kind of compounded what turned out to be a terrible year in the stock. And, and that's one of those examples where even a company that has billions in balance sheet, uh, cash on the balance sheet and so forth, but the, the stock and the CEO absolutely lost kind of the investing narrative and it was Katie bar the door and that stock fell so much. I mean, it made a low at 88 back in November. The stock's almost back to 140. Yeah, right. It's, it's stunning. I mean, the stock now is higher than it was the day before they had their last terrible earnings announcement. So you and I've learned this. We've talked about this before. The longer we've been in this business, I'm always surprised how far stocks can go down, and I'm always surprised how fast they can go up in a relatively short period of time. And Meta is a good example of that. We still own it, and we're still bullish on the company. Yeah, I think part of the issue you have in companies like Meta, because I know I was doing this in my little corner of the world with clients, we've had a bull market, let's be honest, for most of the time since 08. And so our long-term holdings, we didn't, we didn't have losses to take. And so when we were making changes in 2022, as we were getting more defensive during that bear market, and we wanted to pair those gains with losses, my partner, Tom Cordes and I looked at each other and said, where are the losses? We don't have any. I mean, we're, we're long-term holders. Well, for people who might've bought a Facebook or meta or, and many of those other stocks in 21, well, they are down. And so now they are looking for losses anywhere they can find them. So what we're seeing is a lot of the big names that are going to be around a long time that really suffered got hit hard towards the end of the year. I think, David, it was a lot of tax loss selling. And now that we're through that, no surprise, we're, we're, we're seeing a jump. But real quickly before we, we go to this uh, next break, uh, okay, we talked about one of the stocks that was uh, a little bit of a uh, detractor in the portfolio. I looked at your contributors to your performance, because you did beat your benchmark, even though everything was down, you beat your benchmark. And uh, I love some of the names like Progressive, 
United Health Motorola, but one I'm not familiar with. What is Texas Pacific Land? I, um, I, I wrote about it. We wrote about it a few, uh, a number of quarters ago, about a year or so, a year and a half ago when we first bought it. And we entitled that report, um, uh, the, the, the Best Growth Company Nobody's Ever Heard Of. Long story short, when the railroads were being built many, many decades ago, and the railroad that went through called Southern Pacific, uh, hence the name Texas Pacific Land, all of that mineral rights, all of the land that was at either side of those tracks that went through central Texas west towards New Mexico, it was just raw land. And it was in a trust. There were some grazing rights for decades and decades. And when I tell you that the punchline, you're going to you'll get the story. Then came the advent of fracking. <laughs> yeah. And they own, I think they own almost 900,000 acres, but the key to their business, and it's a royalty company. They just lease out their land. If you get, if you take oil or water, or whatever, you get a piece of the action and it's an asset like business, but they they own some of the most lucrative, uh, inexpensive oil and energy drilling land in the prolific Permian Basin. Wow. That's the story. Wow. And they earn a royalty. Yeah, the stock was up like 100% last year. Oh, that's terrific. Um, a great find there. So we're going to take a break, and uh, David has uh, been kind enough to um, stick with us through the break and then close out this part of the hour. And when I come back, what I want to ask David Rolf, the CIO, Chief Investment Officer of Wedgwood Partners, is now a look into 2023 and what he sees. More of the bear market, even though we're off to a decent start, or things start to turn around. And what's the Fed's role in all of this? Stay with us, folks. You are listening to At Your Service. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Hey, folks, that is actually Ario Speedwagon right there. A lot of you folks don't know that because that's not Kevin Cronin. That's in the non-Cronin days of the mid-'70s. That's Michael Murphy. Man, you guys are all becoming so smart now in your rock REO history. You're, you're welcome. It is 849 in St. Louis. Dave Simon's filling in. And my special guest is David Rolfe, Chief Investment Officer at Wedgwood Partners. And, and David, as we look at 2023, let me quote your own words from your year and report, which I just love reading. Um, but you write this, Powell and Company, of course, referring to Fed Chairman Jay Powell, Powell and Company seem determined to quell any meaningful stock market rally. Folks, think about what David Rolfe is writing there. The last thing the Fed wants is a sharp increase in the wealth effect from the stock market to quash the Fed's carved-in stone playbook to achieve their 2% inflation target. In an ironic twist, the long-held maxim, don't fight the Fed, has become the the Fed fights Wall Street. I could not agree more. Now, for... Uh, the lay folks out there, the mom-and-pop investors, David, what are you getting at? Talk about the battle that the Fed is currently engaged with at Wall, in, uh, against Wall Street. Well, Dave, again, real quickly, we have to go all the way back to the crash in 1987 when Fed Greenspan um, flooded the, the stock market with liquidity the Tuesday or even that afternoon, certainly the Tuesday after that terrible Monday in 1987, and the phrase then was coined, 
the Fed put. And what that means is, long story short, that when the stock market got in trouble, the, the Fed would come in, throw a lot of liquidity at the stock market, and dampen or stop any significant stock market climb or decline. And that's been the course over three or four different Fed chairs um, since then. When, when Fed Chairman Powell became part, I think he was a president of the Fed, he was known as a hawk. He didn't like this idea of the Fed rescuing Wall Street investors or speculators. Yet he did just that back in December uh, 2018. And since then, that was called the Powell pivot. The market got in trouble. The bond market froze up a little bit, the corporate bond market. And here, Powell came to the rescue. And from what I understand of studying him, he hates that moniker. Mm. And I'm afraid that with the Fed trying to quell inflation and a lot of these indicators, and you've talked about it, Dave, have, or, or, you know, they're doing that job on that. A lot of inflation indicators are coming down outside of maybe food and health insurance and tuition. But I think there might be an additional element here where the current Fed chairman wants to put this idea that the Fed is always there to rescue the stock market come what may. So net-net, for your listeners, the Fed may stay tighter for longer as we go through 2023, and that may cause some additional angst in the markets. You know, the That's con- my worry. Yeah, the consensus seems to be, and the consensus is rarely correct, but this is one of the few times where I read and I say, it makes sense to me. It's almost too perfect where you think the consensus probably won't be right. But for, for all the investors out there, the general consensus among Wall Street strategists is the first half of the year will remain choppy, as, as David just alluded to. The Fed will likely continue to ratchet up rates, maybe more than even Wall Street is comfortable with. That might keep a cap on the stock market. But then the second half... Perhaps finally inflation will will really show some meaningful declines. It already is. And then maybe the market can rally in the second half. Do you subscribe to the consensus? And if not, what is your call? Our view is, and you've explained this before in your show, Dave, one of the toughest things that we need to do in our job is to try to ask ourselves, and, this, and particularly in the stock market tonight we're talking about, What's in the price? What's discounted? Most of, if not all of what you and I have already talked about is very well known. And it's not surprising that a lot of stocks bottomed back in October. So while the economy may, uh, may sputter because of higher interest rates and corporate earnings may be at risk if the Fed is tighter for longer, a lot of this is starting to get discounted in the stock prices. I don't think it's going to be uniform. I think some of the, you know, the biggest movers we've seen to date and since the October lows were a lot of those stocks that got smashed last year. Mm-hmm. And some of the big winners from last year are kind of flat. So, again, it, I, I love this environment because, you know, I'm a stock picker. We only own 20 stocks. And I love this non-uniformity of, of the stock market. You know, I'll leave it to you to make a broad market call. But I like the fact that there are increasingly more and more stocks that, number one, aren't falling on bad corporate earnings reports as, we're, as they're rolling out right now. 
And a lot of stocks have rebounded pretty sharp. Um, again, it's, it's hard to imagine for a lot of folks and even people that, that do this for a living, this idea of what's discounted in the prices. Stocks will rise well before all of the bad news is put in, just like they started to fall a year or two ago, well before the bad news started to come in. I'm actually, um, my letter is kind of bearish, but on a stock-by-stock basis, I think we're starting to turn a corner here, and I'm getting incrementally more bullish. The, The stock action right now is very bullish in the face of increasingly bad economic news, if that makes sense. It does. And 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 I love what you said about the fact that you really made sure you, you delineated between the, the general stock market and individual stocks, because I totally agree. I think that's what this year is going to be all about. Uh, I'm not against passive S&P 500 type index investing. We've done it off and on in our own portfolios. But I really believe 2023, really like 22, is going to re- reward real patient uh, individual stock investors. David, I have to leave it there. I apologize, man. I could talk to you for two hours. So much more we wanted to get to, but I, I really appreciate it. In, in the few seconds remaining, how can people find out a little bit more about you and your company? Um, they can go to our wedge, website. It's uh, wedgewoodpartners.com. Okay. David Rolf, Chief Investment Officer at Wedgewood Partners. I really appreciate you spending time with us on this Thursday night. Thank you. Thank you, friend. All right. Take care. That was David Rolf. We will be back after the top of the hour. News, weather, sports coming right up. Ario Speedwagon Night here at Camo X. Hey, I'm going to play DJ. That's in your letter by Ario. I'm kidding, folks. Welcome back. This is, of course, at your service, Camo X. Dave Simon's filling in. I'm a certified financial planner by day and the occasional guest host by night. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, we spent, uh, well, the first half of the uh, last hour talking all things music, rock and roll, my love for REO and why. And then we got around to talk a little bit about investing with uh, David Rolf, a longtime friend of mine, one of the more successful individual stock pickers who um, is one of the um, the cohorts, main principles of Wedgwood Partners. And um, like he said, you can go to WedgwoodPartners.com and find out a little bit more. I want to kind of pivot back a little bit to, to music because of uh, something that got a lot of attention here lately. And I know why they do this, because of idiots like me will come on the air and talk about it. And that's why they do it. So people can get all riled up and say, well, that's a bunch of BS. It's Rolling Stone magazine just came out with their 200 greatest singers of all time. Now, that's subjective, right? There isn't one person on earth who would rank their own 200 and and think and say, "Wow, that's exactly I, I can't believe it. My 200 matched up perfectly with Rolling Stone magazine." That's not going to happen. So we know that going in. It's very subjective. But sometimes you look at this and think, oh, this is so biased in ways that I can't fully understand or appreciate. Why, why is Rolling Stone magazine so infatuated with this guy or that band, but they can't stand those people? I, I, it's, it's interesting to me. So 
I can't I look, I can't fault their top five. They would not be my personal top five, but I know enough about music and singing and all that. How could I say that Aretha Franklin doesn't deserve to be number one? I can't say that. All right. Again, not my favorite type of music, but come on. It's Aretha Franklin, number one. I have no problem with that. Same with number two, Whitney Houston. I mean, come on. She could have been number one in my book, too. And then Sam Cooke, the great Sam Cooke three, followed by Billie Holiday at four and Mariah Carey at five. I think Mariah Carey is great, too. What a voice. I was surprised that Rolling Stone magazine actually put her at number five. I don't have any personal problem with it, but it just doesn't seem like they're into more of the they're not as much into the real popular cultural type of singers like a Mariah Carey. But I was, okay, I was pleasantly surprised to see number five. But then it starts to break down. Remember, this is not a list of greatest musical influencers or musical lyricists or writers. It is greatest singers. Number 15 is Bob Dylan. Now, I know there are a lot of you out there who love Bob Dylan because he is truly one of the great songwriters of all time. When you list American lyricists and poets, how could you not put a Bob Dylan up there near the very top, if not at the top? Seriously. But singers, singing. Bob Dylan is number 15. Adele is 22. Bob Dylan is a better singer than Adele. Robert Plant, the great Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, is 63rd. Now, Rolling Stone magazine got ahead of this. They knew that idiots like me would would criticize certain components of this. So they wrote, as part of their report, this. This is the greatest singer list, not the greatest voices list list. See what they're doing? They're trying to uh, differentiate between the two. Singers, voices. They go on. Talent is impressive. Genius is transcendent. What matters most to us was originality, influence, the depth of an artist's catalog, and the breadth of their musical legacy. Okay. Fair enough. Even with that said, then, Why is Robert Plant, who would fit all those categories, all right, what matters most to us, originality, Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant, blues turning into rock and roll, influence, how many bands were influenced by Led Zeppelin? Come on. The depth of the catalog, Uh, come on again, and the breadth of their musical legacy. Robert Plant, one of the most iconic voices that just cannot be matched, is way down at 63rd. In fact, Plant is behind Mick Jagger, who's 52nd. Again, that's more because of the Rolling Stones as opposed to a Mick Jagger. I have no problem with Mick Jagger necessarily being 52nd. That's not it. But it's the Robert Plant thing, which is really interesting to me. Uh, some other notables that I that I saw here, which I found interesting. Uh, Taylor Swift was 102nd. Okay, I, it's not my kind of music. It's actually my daughter's favorite. Uh, Taylor Swift is to her like Kevin Cronin is to me. That That's her KC. It's Taylor Swift. I, I was pleasantly surprised as she, she almost broke the top 100. Good for her. 
one of my favorite all-time singers of all time. And this will sound very interesting to a lot of you who know me as the rocker guy, who's the Zeppelin guy, the ACDC guy, along with my arena rock stuff too. And I love today, the last 20 years of rock. At my age in my 60s, I will go by myself to see Breaking Benjamin. No one my age goes to see a band like that. So that's the kind of music that I love. But give me Karen Carpenter's voice any day of the week. Karen Carpenter, are you kidding me? One of the most pure, angelic voices that God has ever given us. And she came in 123rd. Should be higher, but I guess the Carpenters don't fit the other stuff about this impressive catalog and all that. Big fan of U2. U2 would probably be my second favorite group of all time behind Ario. Um, and Bono is 140th. Eh, I would have put him higher. And I'm not a big country music fan. My wife is. But, man, can I appreciate good music and a great voice. And I was so happy to see Chris Stapleton made the top 200 in terms of the greatest voices. Chris Stapleton coming in at 171. I would have put him higher, higher, even though it's not my kind of music. But, again, I can recognize greatness and lastly, it's the voices that did not show up. Oh, by the way, of, of the bands that I grew up, the aforementioned classic rock bands of the 70s and 80s, uh, Steve Perry of Journey did make it. Yeah, should have. 82nd. Where's Lou Graham, a foreigner? One of the great rock voices of all time. Didn't make the cut. Not in the top 200. Paul Rogers. Bad company. Among it, free, didn't make it. One of the most underrated singers of all time in my book is Steve Walsh of Kansas. In fact, that band should be in the Rock Hall of Fame. So different, so iconic, classically trained musicians, and you can hear it in their music. Nobody wrote music like Kansas. Maybe because they had some Christian influence. Rolling Stone magazine was never going to give them their due. I don't know. But Steve Walsh should be in the top 200, not there. And then I could go on. I think one band that has, you look at bands that had great singers together, like a Crosby, Stills, Nash. You know, we know that, of course, David Crosby uh, passing away. Um, but sticks of those kinds of bands with Dennis DeYoung and Tommy Shaw. Tommy Shaw, one of the pure, great rock singers. So silky smooth. Man, I'm telling you. Those voices should have been there, but it is subjective. I realize that, and Rolling Stone magazine is getting what they want. People like me getting on this big blowtorch of KMOX around the country, talking about it, and hopefully getting people to go online to Rolling Stone, and then they get the hits. So there you go. You can get on there and and uh, make your own judgment. All right, after the break, we're going to go back to what I do for a living, and that's on the investment side. Uh, uh, David Rolfe, I really appreciate him coming on, but that just, uh, I, I think it's important that we continue that discussion, even though it just might be only coming from me going forward. And I think we really need to talk about what we can expect in 23. There are no guarantees, of course, but let's at least try to dig into it a little bit, all right? My name is Dave Simons. This is At Your Service on KMOX. They long to be 
Welcome back. 920 in St. Louis. And there's a reason why we just play a little Pearl Jam because we were reminded that Eddie Vedder also did not make the top 200 list. Um, but there was one protest. See, this is how much influence Rolling Stone magazine still has. I mean, they've lost a little bit over the years, but people still talk about them. There was actually a public protest over one singer not making it, Celine Dion. And I would agree. I mean, again, not my kind of music necessarily, but I can recognize purity and greatness. And um, Celine Dion did not make the list, and her fans did not necessarily care for that. She's Canadian, so maybe that's where the protest occurred. I don't know. All right. Um, We will move on, so let me quickly get to um, the, the... I write a weekly commentary, all right? And so for those of you who get it, I apologize. I'm going to kind of beat you to it here, but that's okay. You'll get a little bit of a a preview tonight of uh, some of the things that I'm going to be sending uh, tomorrow morning. But here's the deal. For those of you who listened to my interview with David Rolfe of Wedgwood Partners, you heard me talk about consensus. Consensus. Which basically means, what is the majority opinion of all the professional market prognosticators out there? And whatever that consensus is, you can bet that it's not going to happen. And I'm not kidding. I'm not making some joke out of this, and I'm not trying to be facetious necessarily. This, that's a fact. And the consensus is, the first half of the, of the year will be relatively choppy, might even show a net decline overall by the time we get into late spring, early summer. And then things will settle down and you kind of might have the summer doldrums, but then the market will pick back up because we'll have more clarity on inflation. The Fed likely will have stopped raising rates. And then there's this hope, hope, that the Fed might actually start cutting rates by the end of the year, because they went a little too far in raising rates. The economy has slipped into a mild recession, and now the Fed has to do uh, claw back some of their dirty work. That's the general consensus, and that's kind of baked into the market right now. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? I don't know, everything? So the bearish call would be, no, this year will be down again. The Fed, what if they lose control of inflation? Yeah, I know it's coming down. That's a good trend, but we also saw there were a couple of different times in the mid to late 70s that inflation was coming down, and the Fed thought they were done at the time, and they stopped raising rates, and inflation went right back up. And by the time we got into the early 80s and Paul Volcker was the new Fed, the new sheriff in town said, we, we, we just have to kill it, we'll do whatever we can take, and he brought interest rates up to near 20%. And we went into that deep recession in the early 80s because of it. So there is a fear among a minority of folks who thinks that might happen this year. I personally don't subscribe to it. I would put the odds of that at less than 10%. But what if something good happens? You know that I think humans overall are optimistic. I do. I think Americans, for the most part, are relatively optimistic. But do you know that it's in our DNA to be fearful of things? It's self-protection, whether physical, mental, whatever. And a lot of folks are so fearful of this market. More people are, are, are worried about this market than they are bullish and are convinced that the market's going to do well. 
And because of that, I think the odds, they're less than 50-50 in my book, but I think the odds are greater than most people believe that we could actually have a really good year in the market. It's not my base case necessarily, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Let me give you some data that I think will surprise you. Through last week, and actually through early this week, 10 days in a row, 10 trading days in a row. Now, listen to this now. 10 trading days in a row. We had more than a 2-to-1 ratio of stocks moving up than going down. That's called the advanced decline line. And when you have one day where the advanced decline line is better than 2-to-1, that's a really good bullish day. You get a few of those days in a row, that's a, that's a good streak. We just had 10 in a row. That's, I'm not just saying the market was up. No, it's more than that. It's stronger than that. It's more bullish than that. A better than 2-to-1 ratio up 10 days in a row. That has only happened... Um, I wrote it down here. I'm reading through here. Bear with me. Uh, 15 times over the past 60 years. 15 times. Actually, it was 14 times. This was the 15th time that it just happened. What, you may ask, did the market do in those previous 14 times in the past 60 years? Well, I'm glad that you asked because 12 months later, 13 out of 14, the market was not only higher, but double digits higher. In fact, the average increase, the average of those other 14 times, 20.2% a year after the market had such a bullish 10-day trend. Now, does that guarantee us anything this time? No. Was there one time where the market was down a year later? Yes. Barely. 1987, the market was down 6.4% a year later. Rather pedestrian, wouldn't you think? And that occurred during the crash year of, I would say the crash day, that was Black Monday, October 19th of 87. That's really the cause of that full 12-month decline was one day. And it was down 6.4. All the other times the market soared. You've got a 43% gain coming out of the Great Recession of 08, 1975, 31% as recently as 2019, so still pre-pandemic, a 27% return. I'm going back here, 1962, a 23% gain. So there's one stat that could prove the consensus and the bearish call wrong. That's a pretty good track record. Let me give you one more. We know that 2022 was a bear market here in the U.S. In fact, it was a bear market in most developed countries around the world that have their own stock market exchanges. There isn't one of those developed markets still in a bear market today. Did you know that? Not one. The markets are still down. But what is defined as a bear market? We'll use the true and and tried definition, which is the market is down more than 20% from its high. So the folks at S&P did a little study. And they looked at times where you had better than 60% of global markets in a bear market. And months later, zero were in a bear market. They had all emerged from the bear market almost simultaneously. Because usually you, you have a couple of stragglers still behind. Oh, that country's still struggling. 
they fell into a deep recession. Uh, they are relying on the commodity market, and the commodity market is still in the tank. Or they rely on this particular product and that. Or they, they have this war going on, and so they're still in a bear market. Not one. Most markets are still down, but they all emerge from the bear. How many times has that happened? Only 10 times where you've had more than 60% of global market exchanges in a bear market. Months later, none of them are. What happened to the S&P 500 a year later? Well, I'm glad you've asked again. This time it was 10 out of 10. All positive, not one down. And the average return there was 12%. Not the 21 in the last one, but wouldn't you still take a 12% increase? Now, the market, by the way, in in that stat that I just gave you, the markets did remain choppy for weeks and months. So if I say 12 months from now, I'm not saying that that means three months from now. We literally are looking by the end of this year and into January. So you have to be patient. But you know that as investors, right? We're all in this for the long term. So I am not a big fan of consensus. I am very much a contrarian. My contrarian radar is really pinging more than ever. I'm telling you, unlike I've ever seen, because using that boat analogy, that ship analogy, if everyone, all the passengers, and in fact, all the equipment, everything that has any weight, all goes to one side of that boat, what happens? Yeah, it's not good. It capsizes. And so that's what happens with the investing community. When I see that this overwhelming majority of people, and it becomes larger and larger and larger, all gets to one side of an opinion, well, that's already baked into the market today. It's already factored in. Everyone expects the market to do this six months from now. Well, it just did already. So it likely can do the opposite. I'm telling you that consensus is very heavy, very heavy with that opinion that the first half may not be great, The second half will, which tells me that's probably not going to happen. Either the whole year is going to be good, the whole year is going to be in the tank, or it'll be the opposite. The first half will be good, and then we might give back. I don't know. I don't handicap these things. It's a waste of time. Don't listen to folks. I don't care what the designations that they have behind their name, all their credentials, their resume. I certainly have enough that could match up against anyone, and I'm telling you it's a waste of time. I'm in the business of investing long-term. I'm in the business of making sure people's long-term plans are reasonable and will work, and that includes through bear markets, good times. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bad times, as long as the returns are reasonable, expectations will be met longer term. You have to be patient and you will survive. It works every time. We will be right back. All right, my friends, thank you so much for tuning in to KMOX this evening and uh, specifically this very show we call At Your Service. Man, it's been around for decades, and I pinch myself that I get to be a part of it as a St. Louis kid growing up in North County and driving down with my dad to Cardinals baseball games in the late 60s and through the 70s and tuning into KMOX and uh, Sports Open Line, man. I Bob Burns and Bob Bragg. Uh, I just idolized those guys as a kid, and uh, that's really what got me wanting to get into the media, television, radio, whatever, is listening to those two guys. That's what it was. And then I remember being in Bush Stadium one time. I don't remember how old I was, not real old, but uh, my dad pointed up to the press box behind home plate. And this was uh, shortly after what we now call Old Bush Stadium was built. So this is after Sportsman's Park. And he said, see that white-haired guy? And I'm looking at him and going, yeah. He goes, that's Jack Buck. That's Jack Buck. And I thought I was looking at a king. Seriously. Little did I know, of course, I would get to meet him and I don't not necessarily work alongside him, but I got into the business working at channel four and then doing some radio uh, at the same time for some of the sports stations here in town in the late eighties and early nineties. And, um, and then here I am more of the, on the, the news format, of course, changing careers completely. I did getting out of the media in 1994. So gosh, 29 years ago now, and then uh, starting my investment firm and uh, building that up over the years. But here, you know, on Camo X, the station that just to me meant everything. I'm so thankful that I got to grow up in St. Louis and be a part of one of the most recognizable stations in the country, even to this day. Um, so there you go. Yeah, pinch myself every time. You know, I am a sucker for these uh, polls. I talked about the Rolling Stone Top 200 Singers list. I, I am a, a, a clickbait victim every time. Like, oh, top 20 states that have the most mosquito bites. Hmm, let's see what that is. I, I Just meaningless stuff. But I always find that stuff fascinating. And I, what I really like to dig into is the methodology behind these. Well, how did they come up with that? What did they look at? I have a very curious mind. So I just saw this this week. Um this research company decided to look at all 50 states and rank them for driver safety. Driver safety. Ooh, that's a good one. I wonder where Missouri ranks for driver safety. Dead 
last. <laughs> we came in number 50 here in Missouri. So then that got me thinking, okay, well, how do they define driver safety? Is that fatalities? No. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of different things that go into it, which I appreciate. They're not looking at just one thing. So it includes the percentage of drivers who wear seatbelts. Apparently, we don't score very high there. Car thefts. Yeah, uh, St. Louis, we got a problem. Now, I don't know about the rest of Missouri, but I do know here in St. Louis, we know the stories. That's not a good thing. Also, share of uninsured drivers. Yeah, apparently we have a big percentage of those driving around out there. Here's one that's interesting. I honestly don't know about Missouri's DUI law versus other states. But that's one of the factors. And apparently we don't have real strict DUI laws compared to much many more restrictive states. Uh, and here's one, unfortunately, that I can relate to. Accidents involving animals. <laughs> As someone who has hit a deer and it bashed in my whole windshield and tore off a bumper and it was out of out, it was from my blind spot i didn't know what i hit and it scared the bejeebers out of me it was out there uh, for those of you in the chesterfield area clarkson valley area it was right near marquette high school and i was on kerr's mill road and this deer actually came from like 45 degree angle from the side and i never saw it it just came out from this this row of hedges or trees and all of a sudden boom and my window cracked, and I did. I thought somebody like threw something, and it was in my rearview mirror. Is when I saw this deer now flopping behind me. I'm. I hate the fact that I hit the deer, but I'm thankful that it did not suffer. This deer died uh, right there on the side of the road. Uh, it just would have killed me to see this deer like hobbling along in pain. So. Um, so yeah, and I know that that's not an uncommon thing, especially out here, uh, in the West County area in Illinois, there's just deer everywhere. They're like dogs almost. So many people have had accidents with that. So taking all of those things together, Missouri's last, we don't have a very safe driving state for some reason. So I thought, okay, who's, who's right above us? Like who's 49th? And that is Montana. Like, oh, okay. Now, the top five, of course, I've got to find out what the uh, top five were. I think we're a little biased towards the New England states. Listen to the top five here. Number one, safest driving state in the country, Massachusetts. Apparently, they have strict DUI laws. Everyone wears their seatbelts, all that good stuff. Okay, fair enough. Massachusetts, number one. Connecticut, number two. New Jersey, three. Then out of the blue, Alaska is four. Huh. Back to the New England areas, Rhode Island is fifth. So you have four of the top five states in the New England area um, are apparently good places to drive and get to your destination in one piece. Um, there was one other thing. Oh, Illinois. You folks in Illinois. Congratulations, man. You're eighth. Eighth safest place to drive with all of those things taken into account. So uh, nice job. One more um, uh, poll that I have to look at. Now this, 
where I can have kind of fun with that Missouri thing. It's like, okay, some of that, I know it's hard data, but some of it can be subjective too. You talk about subjectivity. So I was a sucker for this headline. Global Peace Index ranked 169 countries. So virtually any country you've ever heard of is ranked in this. 169 countries for peace. Now, I start thinking, oh, they mean like what? We're just... We sit around and sing Kumbaya, and we we just feel a lot of love and peace. And and so that's what I thought going into this. It was just like we're all at peace with one another. And then I see out of 163 countries, the U.S. is ranked 129th? What? For peace? Well, it's not quite what I thought. Peace meaning, do you have nuclear weapons? Oh, yeah, okay, we're not going to score very high there. Um, how big is your military? Oh, yeah, it's kind of big here. Well, they don't like this. This is, um, what poll is this? What, I don't even know the company here. It's some, oh, Institute for Economics and Peace. Okay, makes sense. Global Peace Index, they call it. Number one, the country with the most amount of love and peace and will never go to war and nobody's ever going to go to war with them, and we should all move there because, well, we're just all going to feel better about each other and ourselves. Number one, Iceland. Actually, I would love to go to Iceland, hear great things about it. I I would go tomorrow. Maybe someday I will. Speaking of countries that I want to go to, and my wife and I are, it's, it's the next bucket list country, and I think within the next couple of years, we will go there. Number two, New Zealand. So number two on your peace index is New Zealand. Number three, we have been there, and I can attest, this is a great country, and everybody is pretty much happy. Maybe, well, I won't say that because it lives into the stereotype of drinking, but number three is Ireland. Ireland. Number four, Denmark, and number five, Austria. I guess I don't have any real quibble with any of that, but come on. Um, We are down at 129. You know who we're behind for peace? Haiti and Cuba. I'm not kidding. China is 89th. Again, we're 129th. Yeah, maybe China's at peace because, you know, you're not really allowed to come out of your house during COVID and protest anyone. So, hey, if the government forces you to stay in your house or they'll shoot you if you come out, yeah, I think this probably pretty peaceful in the streets because no one's out. But I digress. Cuba, 98th. Well, yeah, they don't have a big military and they don't have nukes, but where do you want to live? Here or Cuba? I'm just asking. Fair question. Haiti at 115. Um, we did beat Russia, by the way, just just in case you want to know. They're, they're way down near the bottom. So the bottom five, at the very bottom, no, number 163 for peace, Afghanistan. Because some of the categories that are in this would be government instability, internal conflicts. Yeah, I think they've got some internal conflicts over in uh, Afghanistan. So they score way down at the bottom. So their overall ranking is dead last. Yemen. So your bottom five are this. South Sudan, Russia, Syria, Yemen, and Afghanistan. Maybe that should be our country bumper sticker. Not as peaceful peaceful as Haiti and Cuba, but we're better than Syria and Yemen any day. We'll be right back.
Well, we're leaving as we came in with a little Roll With The Changes by R.E.O. Speedwagon. Yeah, hopefully uh, you all were able to listen to uh, my long description of my love for that band and how it came about in my early youth and hearing that song literally within days after I got my driver's license at age 16 and I was hooked from from the very start. By the way, real quickly before I get into the, the, the final thing I want to talk about, um, <laughs> within the first two weeks of having my driver's license, so about the time that I was discovering this Tuna Fish album with Roll With The Changes, Time For Me To Fly, and all these great classic songs. Um, I, (laughs) this was about midnight. I literally had had my driver's license for two weeks. And I worked late at a restaurant up in the Lake St. Louis uh, area called JoJo's. Now, some of you who lived in that area way back in the day in the 70s will go, oh, my gosh, I remember that restaurant. Yeah, it was like the first job I ever had when I was 16 years old. And I worked with a friend of mine, and we were leaving JoJo's. We had to close up, and I was a bus boy, and we, whatever, we were leaving JoJo's, driving down the service road, the north service road on 70. Me and my 72 Duster, he had a 69 Mustang. No other traffic is out. This is on like a Thursday night, midnight. He pulls up alongside me in the other lane. So it's just two lanes. So now he's in, like, the lane he's not supposed to be in. Tells me to roll down my window. Race you to the entrance. Lake St. Louis entrance. Race you to the entrance. Well, when you're 16 and you've had your driver's license for two weeks, let's say you don't exactly think with your brain. Uh, And you also think that you're immortal. And you think you are like Mario Andretti, A.J. Foyt. And you can do anything with the car, even though you have two weeks' experience. So we take off. Drive it as fast as both of our cars can go. He pulls in front of me. He's got the Mustang. I do not. We come up to what is a 90-degree turn, an immediate left, into the actual entrance into Lake St. Louis. And I decide I'm going to go up the exit. And I'm going to cut him off. I'm going to go 90 degrees at about 60 miles an hour because I've seen it on TV. Uh, It didn't quite work out. (laughs) See, we we have a recording. It still exists to this day. I hit a curb. My air go, my my, um, car goes airborne. Literally, it's, it's Dukes of Hazard airborne. I hit a birch tree. Right there at the front, 20-foot birch tree, knocks it down. My car lands on top of it, and I think, what did I just do? Oh, I'll just back off of this, and I'll drive home, and nobody will notice. I had no idea. I cracked the entire front axle. I've blown out the front tires. My bumper is laying on the street. My friend has stopped his car. Oh, my gosh, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. Wouldn't you know it? But right then, the fir- you know who the first car was? Think about this. No other traffic. No other cars. Who's the first car? It's a Lake St. Louis police officer just making his rounds. Oh, look what I've come across. So he puts on the red and blue lights, and he stops. Of course, we had not been drinking, so luckily I was clean and sober. I was just an idiot, just stupid. 
There was another problem, by the way. I was the son of a Lake St. Louis alderman. Yeah. So that got around. And um, <laughs> I helped my dad get elected, by the way, when I was a teen. We moved out to Lake St. Louis before it was even incorporated. We were one of the fir- early families that moved out there. And so I helped canvas with him when I was like 13 or 14 years old. And his big number one issue, his only big issue, his number one plank, and I would go knock on doors, please vote for my dad, and you'll read here, he wants to, are you ready for this? Leash laws. Dog, leash your dogs. This isn't the Wild West out here in this new place called Lake St. Louis. For those, anyone who went out there at that time, it was. There were no fences, people moving in from the country into Lake St. Louis, dogs running crazy. And my dad said, vote for me for Alderman, and I will make sure we get leash laws. And they voted for him, and I felt like I could take credit because I knocked on doors. Well, now I'm 16, and I do that. And so my dad, uh, by the way, by this time my parents had divorced. My dad isn't even living in the house anymore. So he gets the call the next morning, and he drives me out there. And how many of you can picture this with your father? My father never spanked me. My dad never touched me. I guess I was a perfect kid. No, he didn't have to. How many of you had the dad with the stare? I almost wanted him to spank me. My dad gave me that look and that stare that put the fear of God in me. And when I met him out at my car the next morning that was still on top of the birch tree, and he showed up with his own car and a chain to pull my car off, and he had that look, and I wanted to go crawl away and die. So... And this is the first time I ever saw that politics could be dirty. This is a true story. While my dad is helping me to get my car off this birch tree with a police officer who my dad knew, and he was kind of assisting this jerk in a car about my dad's age, which at the time was probably early 40s, stops up. Hey, Simons, I see you're teaching your son how to drive. Nice job, idiot. To my dad. My dad wanted to go fight the guy, pretty much, but the guy sped off. And I said, who is that? Oh, somebody who doesn't agree with me politically. And I can't say that I totally got it at the time. I do now. That's the way the world works at this point. That was the first time I ever really saw, (laughs) we talk about political instability, I saw it right there. So, um... There you go. And does it surprise anyone to this day when I occasionally will go to a high school reunion? The last one I went to is our 35th, and we've gone well beyond that now. But people still uh, call me by my nickname. I live with the nickname of Birch Tree Simons. So there you go. Uh, Now everyone's going to, like, text me, Hey, Birch Tree Simons, how you doing? Please don't do that. I'm sharing it with all of you just so we can have a laugh together. I hope we've enjoyed our time together, folks, uh, these couple of hours. Make it a great rest of your week and weekend. Take care.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.